Hello and welcome back to College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can find me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Xavier Trish, Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter for him, and the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Nick, how did week 12 go for you? Well, for for me personally, uh, it was pretty incredible, to be honest. Uh, I, I feel a little bit bad about that because there was a bit of a cloud over uh, week 12, just as far as college football goes with the Tua injury. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that. But uh, as far as my personal week, it, it honestly was uh, the best week CFB winning edge has ever had uh, from an against the spread standpoint. So, you know, probably I, I'm not really a guy to, to, you know, uh, celebrate too much because i know things you know uh, tend to to even out celebrate nick come on <laughs> but uh yeah this this week uh in a pretty big slate of games our biggest in several weeks uh went 33 15 and 3 against the spread that's 68.8 percent uh all of our key uh groups went really really well three and one in the games where uh, our projected favorite differed from the odds makers, and so that number is up to 58.2% for the year. Uh, three and one in games featuring two ranked opponents, so that's up to 53.3% this year. And then 10, four, and one in games where a ranked opponent is playing a power five opponent, and that's uh, 55 and two, uh, or excuse me, 50, 55.2%. This year, and, and we also did uh, pretty well in our games we talked about last week. Also went three and one in those games, so uh, felt very good about it. Won some coin flips, obviously. Uh, a couple of those uh, pushes could have certainly gone in the other direction. So uh, you know, obviously luck is involved from time to time, but felt very good about last week. Uh, we also finished last season really, really strong. So I'm hopeful that this will be uh, sort of maybe the continuation of that second strong finish to the season because, uh, you know, it, it's nice to see when these things sort of work out. I mean, put a lot of time and effort into our player ratings model, our ho- uh, head coach ratings, team performance ratings, and, and you know, the different weights that we put on each of those elements. So it's really nice to see when things work out. And, uh, you know, hopefully this wasn't just a one-off great week. We've had a lot of mediocre weeks and a couple of bad weeks, to be honest with you. So it was nice to, to have something to celebrate this week. Uh, hopeful that it uh, will continue the rest of the way. But, uh, yeah, from, from a personal standpoint, uh, it was a great week. Nick, you got to brag more. You just you have to brag. More. It's not really my style, and, and I know it's that that not. you know I know I know uh, obviously every every week we talk about you know Patreon and, and our listeners. Uh, we would love for you to support us on Patreon. I'm just not. I, I I just for whatever reason I'm not really a sales guy. I don't want to hit people over the head with you know give us money sort of thing. And and uh, well, how about make your own money? How about that? That's that's the better sales pitches. You you make your own money because you listen to what uh, CFP Winning Edge says and you win some money. I mean, if they would have listened to you, seriously, if they were listening to you this week, you went 33, 15, and 3. Like you said, 
it's not a perfect science. We're not we're not done yet. We're not finished with this. And it, it it's a growing model, of course. But 33, 15, and three is pretty damn good. People would 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 have won significant money had you been Absolutely. playing Nick's numbers this week. <laughs> so I mean that's. I, I, you know, I never, I, I, I very rarely, I do, I do write a column for MajorWager.com each week where uh, we decided we would go with the term best bets. I normally stay away from that sort of thing, but you know that the, those picks have been have been pretty good uh, this year as well. But if I were to say, you know, what are our our quote unquote best bets? It is these wrong teams favored, the ranked versus ranked, and the ranked versus P five opponents. Over the last two years, those have consistently hit uh, these sort of these sort of numbers and, and are kind of in our wheelhouse for what our overall goals are uh, between 53 and 55 percent. And all of those numbers are over 53 percent this year, which I feel good about because I feel like that's obviously where we have our biggest edges. And, and those have proven over the last two years, it seems that those are stable. Uh, but in the in the grand scheme you know, I, I would love for the uh, every game those numbers to go up. Those those are at fifty point seven percent against the spread lifetime. So over the last two seasons, there's obviously room for improvement there. I know I've bemoaned the MAC a couple of times this year, the Sun Belt a couple of times this year. Got work to do to sort of figure out those uh, games, those conferences, and and teams, and and have already started experimenting with some things. For next year to, to hopefully fix some of that but uh you're right probably should celebrate maybe a little bit more i'll i'll uh I, yeah, I would... if, if not bragging <laughs> at least celebrate but i think xavier that's probably the closest to uh nick sounding like jalen ramsey we're ever gonna get right there right yeah absolutely <laughs> him just saying yeah we need to improve some things but most of it's been pretty good like you, you just you gotta brag just a little bit more so when things, you know, look, New Year's resolution, maybe. We'll yes, see. there you go. Or, see, New Year's resolution. Brag, or, or, brag or, a little bit more. You could just let me say the numbers because you know I, I I have no problem bragging. You know, I have no <laughs> issue taking over the numbers for an episode. I you know you know just give me the numbers and I'll, I'll brag all I all I need to. You know, we just I, have- I'm a little bit scared to do that because because <laughs> the numbers aren't good one week. You might just be like, Nick, what's wrong with the numbers, man? What's <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. I mean that that's that is fair. You know, uh I I, I get where you're coming from, but it, it's it's working. It's getting uh better as we roll deeper into the season too. So maybe if you haven't started playing, maybe it's time to start playing some of these numbers here. So obviously it's your money. Uh you decide what you want to do with it, but uh this this has been working. And last week uh, the best week that uh, you've ever had at uh, over two years. Is this the best week ever? Week twelve from twenty nineteen. This is. There was a there was a similar uh, week last year that really sort of set us off for a, a huge second half. Um, and then last year, uh, bowl season was just nuts. I mean, it was it was about like this with seventy percent um, in that in that range. I could find the the exact number i didn't didn't pull that up here before we got on but wasn't ready uh, to brag see no i wasn't i wasn't mm-hmm. i didn't think we'd talk about it this long but uh <laughs> but you know so so i'm hopeful that that because over the course of the year i think i think there is something to it if you've been listening to us for for a while you might know how uh, these numbers are, are sort of made up and it, and it is at the player level that's the starting 
point, and that is uh, first take a uh, recruiting rating and then adjust that for experience and then add production. And over the course of the year, that production is, is it gets added each week. So when somebody has a huge game, um, I have certain criteria that I look for to, to earn those points. That gets accumulated over the season. So some teams that, that have uh, had players that, that are very productive, maybe they came in to the season a little underrated, but through the course of the way they've played, them individually has, uh, you know, their individual player rating has gone up. That, of course, is going to impact the team rating, and, and it's going to come up if, if you know, if they aren't hit hard with injuries, which, again, we also do try to incorporate as best we can. Uh, so uh, when those things, they kind of work themselves out over the course of the season, it seems, and that, I think, indicates, you know, why our numbers tend to get stronger uh, at the end of the year. Uh, I think we do a better job of incorporating injuries. I think we do a, a pretty good job of keeping up on, you know, production and maybe closing some of those gaps that we were missing early in the year. That's a big project for me in the off season is to try to figure out, all right, is there some way I can better project these sort of things so that our preseason numbers and our early season numbers are are good? Because we have started the last two years uh pretty slowly and, and then come on at the end. But anyway, that's, that's more maybe off season talk. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a really great week, really excited about it and uh, excited to talk more about this upcoming week. Yeah. And I mean, we've got a lot of stuff to cover for this upcoming week, but obviously you mentioned the, the first thing off the bat here was uh, Tua. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I feel like, this is going to be, uh, you know, spoiler alert if you listen to CFF on campus as well. But my negative zone this week is going to be uh, just the people that are, have the fire saving takes for uh, Tua getting hurt and being out there and hurting his hip and all that stuff. I mean, Xavier, what do you feel about Tua getting hurt? And is this Nick Saban's fault? They were up 35 to 7 when he got hurt. They only scored three points in the second half. Or is this just a football play happening? It's a freak injury. It wasn't yeah. even the the ankle in which he injured in the first place. You know, if they, if it hadn't been that, um, if he had have injured that, maybe first or second quarter while the game was, I guess, you know, quote unquote, still in the balance, then maybe you could say, well, you know, Saban probably shouldn't have had him out there. But in ev- in every video I've seen, and uh, I even got to watch the early parts of the game, Tua seemed fine uh, to as as great of an extent as he could. And, and he spoke to Saban before that drive anyways. Uh, uh, the video surfaced of him saying something to Saban in the huddle before they went out for that drive. Seemed, Clearly, you know, I mean, yeah. people want to make it out that he was uh, begging for another drive, and maybe he was. I mean, we don't know what he said, obviously. Yeah. But uh, it seemed like he, he, that is a definite possibility that he could have been saying, please leave me in for one more drive. Well, you know. you're, you're talking to a kid, you're talking about a kid who hasn't, who rarely has had, you know, games where he played all the way into the fourth quarter. So, I mean, I guess for him, the third quarter might be a little bit too early. You know, I, in my in my uh, estimation, he probably needed to feel a little bit more comfortable for the rest of the season. Um, you know, as an athlete, you know, sit on the sideline. You don't get any better from doing that. Um, and you only and you only can get better by being out there. And for him, you know, it, it may have been a situation where he felt that he needed to, you know, give a, a, a couple more drives in him, put the game completely out of reach, maybe work on some things that he needs that they had been talking about that week, and then he could sit, sit down. 
Um, it's a freak injury. You hate to see it happen to a kid like that, man. Um, you know, Tua has been nothing but outstanding on and off the field since he got to Alabama, and you hate to see it happen to him. But for anybody to say fire Saban for playing a player who wanted to play, it is ridiculous. It's just outright ridiculous. Athletes don't want to sit on the sideline, especially if they can go. That's just not how, you know, football players are wired. So, no, don't. That, that's ridiculous. Uh, Nick, what do you think about the uh, the takes about Saban and, uh, you know, Tua being out there and all that stuff? Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what Xavier said. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, uh, people involved in college football are competitive. I mean, I'm competitive. That's that's why, you know, I, I went in and, and developed a system to project teams and games and, and players. You know, I want to see, can I do better than other systems that are out there, other, uh, you know, the, the odds makers and, and, and things like that. And, and I'm far removed from it. I mean, they're, you know, Saban is, is in his office 100 hours a week trying to figure out how to beat an opponent. And, and it's easy for, you know, people on the outside to look and say, oh, well, they were a huge favorite. They're Alabama. They're obviously they're going to win. Well, that's not how he's thinking about it. That's not how the players are thinking about it. Uh, believe it or not, you know, coaches and players do not take anything for granted. And when they do, if if ever they do, uh, they have a real opportunity to slip up. That, I think, is when we see these major upsets, is when a team maybe takes uh, an opponent uh, lightly. And knowing what I know about Saban, uh, about Saban I don't know if, if we've talked about this on uh, on this show or not, my, my background... I have a fairly limited coaching background, but but it, I was very fortunate to actually work for somebody who had previously worked for Nick Saban. And a lot of what we did was very much in line, as I understand it, with the way that, that uh, he operates his program. And, and so I feel like I have maybe a tiny bit of a, a, a window into sort of what that uh, behind the scenes might look like. And, and I can almost guarantee that Nick Saban, you know, thought, hey, if, if our quarterback is healthy enough to play, then he's going to play. If things work out uh, well enough that we can rest him, we will when the opportunity comes up. But then on that end, people say, oh, well, it's 35 to nothing. Pretty much in, in any situation, uh, coaches do not take out starters in the first half. Um, rarely do they even take them out at halftime. Usually it's, it's all right, if you're up, four or five touchdowns after halftime starters play the first drive of the second half. And then maybe you start working in, uh, you know, some of the, the, the backups or, or pull particularly a, a starting quarterback. Now, obviously this situation tiny bit different because he had an injury coming in, but he had proven through by that point, six quarters of play four against LSU and, and almost two full quarters against Mississippi state that he was, healthy enough to play. And and Tua was dominant in this game. I mean, 14 of 18, 256 yards, two touchdowns. You know, he scrambled a little bit. He avoided some pressure at times. Obviously, he didn't on the, the one that mattered most, but um, he had proven healthy enough to play. And, and you want to get him the reps. I understand Saban's point that, hey, you know, we, we don't have many opportunities to run two-minute. Uh, let's, let's get him in there and, and get some reps doing that. I understand it. I mean, hindsight obviously 
you know, maybe he, I'm sure he hopes he had, had made it or, or wishes he had made a different decision. But in that moment, you know, you can't, you can't think like, oh, we just can't get our, our guy hurt. You know, you can't play scared, whether you're the coach, whether you're the player. Uh, Tua obviously wasn't. He wanted to be out there. I, I have to think. I have no idea what he said to Saban. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it would pretty very clean. much surprise me right. uh, if, if he didn't lobby to, to get back out there. You know, it, that seems very, very likely. So I don't blame Saban. I don't blame Tua. Um, unfortunately, it's it's something that happens. I absolutely hate it. He's been an incredible player, such a joy to watch. I wish him all the best in the future. Uh, I know he has a bright future ahead, whether it's on the field or off the field. Um, and and I'm excited for for whatever that next step is for him. And and of course, wish him a, a very speedy recovery and and all the best moving forward. But no, I don't I don't blame Saban. Yeah, I, I thought I thought those takes were just a little bit too much. So, especially a guy that uh, has, you know, brought so many championships to Alabama and everything, and uh, the prestige of the school just going through the roof. And it was already huge before he got there, but it's you know much better. It's a much better college football landscape when Alabama's good, and uh, you know, uh, Tua made part of that. Now with the Heisman race, Tua obviously out for the year. He's not in it anymore. It looks to me to be Joe Burrow and nobody. I mean, uh, Jalen Hurts is probably two now. Jonathan Taylor may be invited to New York, but I don't think he's a realistic option, although he is awesome. Uh, Is there anybody else on the list? Does Chase Young play this week? He's back this week, yes. So if he goes for like four or five sacks this week, I mean, there's a possibility that he gets back in it. Um, But I think it's Joe Burrow's to lose at this point, and I don't don't see how he could lose it, but... At this point, it is his to lose. Yeah, I, I agree for sure. I mean, Joe Burrow. I think last I saw was was uh, listed at something like one to twelve odds. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, it, it's pretty much over. I mean, if he sat out the next two games, it, it's even hard to to expect that he wouldn't. Uh, you know that he that he wouldn't win it. I mean, if they go out and lose three in a row, including the SEC championship game by a hundred points. Maybe he doesn't win it, <laughs> but I mean, at this point, uh, just, just what he's done, what he has done, not only from a t- statistical standpoint and elevating the play of the LSU offense and LSU as a whole. Uh, but we also have this, you know, uh, the Heisman isn't just a one season award, Usually, uh, people do get players do get sort of a boost um, if they've had a strong career or if they make a huge step forward from one year to the next. And voters remember what this LSU offense looked like before. They remember what it looked like before before Joe Burrow got there. They they know what it looked like last year when it was sort of in you know his, his first opportunities, and then this year little bit of a uh, updated scheme changing some play calling philosophy and and really letting him run you know with with the offense and and make best use of all his weapons so i think that progression partly based on bro partly based on the team uh is you know certainly a factor here 
as well. I mean, he's obviously got the statistics, but when you factor that in, you know, it's just a sort of another layer onto how how much of an impact he personally has had. And and I, I really don't see any way if Chase Young had not, you know, been forced to sit out the last two games and had crazy good games and eight sacks versus Rutgers last week or whatever, maybe he could have played his way in, but uh, him not not playing in those two games, uh, which in my opinion is not his fault, um, uh, it, it just sort of, you know, it, it's hard to give it to somebody who's who sat out a couple of games. And then Jalen Hurts, maybe if Oklahoma was, was still undefeated, he might be able to, right. to make a case. But I think the fact that They've sort of lost a lot of luster as a team uh, from the loss to Kansas State and, and, you know, hanging in the bottom half of the or or towards the very bottom of the Big Ten or, uh, excuse me, top ten in the playoff rankings. um, That that drags down his chances. So, yeah, I think Burrow uh, is I would be shocked. Well, Burrow would have to have something happen to him like just happened to Tua, you know, and then you would still need. Big production yeah, I, from these other guys, too. Yeah, I don't know if that would even change the narrative, to be honest right. with you, because if anything, if LSU were to then lose, it, I think it adds more to the case of Burrow at that point that, like, oh, this guy was just this good that he was keeping LSU together to now they lose to, like, A&M in two weeks. If they were to do that after he got hurt, I think that adds to his case, overtakes away from it, because then that means LSU is a completely different ball club. Um, and it's not just the offense of uh, offensive coordinator. It's also the fact that it is actually Burrow as well, which I mean, I don't think that that's been the narrative the whole season, but I think that that would add to his, his case. Right, right. So uh, it seems like the Heisman can pretty much be locked up for Joe Burrow. Uh, what about coaches getting canned this year, Xavier? I mean, uh, Mark D'Antonio looks like he needs to be out at Michigan State. He said, I think today he plans on coaching still so you know yeah. obviously he's not going to resign or anything so he's going to make him fire him but i think him i think Derek mason uh is out yeah his leash is really yeah oh uh, he got the, he got the dreaded vote of confidence did he really week. yeah he did uh, the athletic director uh gave, gave the the vote of confidence um, and, and that one I go back and forth on because I really like Derek Mason and, and I think he's done some good things there. I think he's a really strong, uh, defensive coach, uh, ba- or, uh Vanderbilt is, is a tough job. Um, and, and he's had some success there, but they have, they've pretty much fallen apart this year. And, and, you know, we had some pretty high expectations for them offensively and that just hasn't come through. I know they've been banged up on the O-line and, and had some other issues uh, from that standpoint, but uh, they've been they've been really disappointing this year, and, and I didn't have high expectations, but they really didn't haven't even come close to, to my personal expectations for them. So uh, on that note, you know, when I think is this team better off today than it was this time last year, I think the answer's got to be no, and and so I wonder how much blame does does Mason get for that. Uh, but then on the other hand, you know, the, maybe maybe it's I, I don't necessarily want to give up on him either. So I'm I'm definitely on the fence with that. For for D'Antonio, uh, <laughs> I think we touched on it before that that he, it seems that he's done enough in the past to sort of. He's kind of reached the level maybe where he can go out when he wants. It's just, yeah. does he want to? Uh, sounds like he doesn't. You know, 
thing, things do have a tendency to fray if they get bad enough. And and Michigan State's had a few bad seasons. I mean, they need to they need to win the last two to to make a bowl now, right? So uh, a good chance of that happening. And and in that case, maybe they end on a high note with a, a little bit of momentum into the offseason. But if they were to to lose one of these two games and miss the postseason. Uh, the negativity is only going to grow, and and they lose to Rutgers or Maryland. He needs to be fired. <laughs> it, like, I, I'm not, I'm not a big go after somebody's job guy, but how could they've lost five straight? They lost right. Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, Illinois, Michigan. You can say, all right, they're only supposed to beat Illinois. Fine, but they lost that game too. So, uh, you know, who have they beat this year? They beat uh, uh, Indiana. That's a good win. And then Northwestern, Western Michigan, and Tulsa are their wins. Hmm. Yeah. So, Tulsa, Tulsa was close. So <laughs> yeah, and so. they lost to ASU at home. Right, and ASU is not a team that's known to travel well, especially going to the East Coast. So you know, East, you know, right? Yeah, exactly. So it just it hasn't been good. You know, I think you're right, Nick. They're going to make a bowl. He's probably going to stay, but uh, Michigan State. You know, fans and boosters are not happy about him. So, and, and one one last point that I will say: mm-hmm. they they have had some off the field issues there, and and that's something that that is really really difficult to defend. So that coupled with uh, the poor performance, you know, I, I don't blame the fan base for for starting to sour. Uh, I'm not sure if they're all the way there yet. I'm sure there's a vocal portion that that is i don't have a, a firm grasp on the entire fan base but uh it, it is understandable that he's maybe starting to wear out that welcome it's just whether he has quite yet and and you know or if he feels maybe it's time to, to step away which uh wouldn't would not shock me if he did i mean people at texas were pissed at mac brown at the end you know and, and he uh, yeah, won a yeah. national title at texas so <laughs> you know it, it, uh, about about right well, yep yeah. It, it, it the the magic wears off eventually so i think divorce rates will show everybody that so uh, <laughs> that's just usually the way it goes the magic wears out somewhere but uh are there any other coaches that you guys are concerned of or you guys think uh no need need to be bounced well earlier this week i couldn't or i believe it was over the weekend i could not believe that scott frost got an extension I I almost pulled out whatever hair I do have thinking about <laughs> the fact that he's going to be back for another season where he's done absolutely nothing with one of the more storied franchises in college football. I mean, it is mind-boggling to me that he got two more years. And on top of that, if I'm not mistaken, uh, oh, no, no, that's PJ Flat, But I, I can't believe it. I'm, I'm on a website literally called Coach's Hot Seat. He's the second-rated hot seat in the entire list. By, behind Mark D'Antonio, yet he just got extended for another two seasons, which means at some point, if they do fire want to fire him, they're going to have to pay him out. So it's a win-win for Frost in at least the money category anyways. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see how he's still there. Uh, Must Champ's another one. Well, he already thinking, wants to fire Scott Frost, Nick. Is that okay? <laughs> I want I want Frost out of there. <laughs> I think it's too early for Scott Frost. I mean, we've talked ah, about, too early. We've talked about the two guys, uh, Taggart and and Morris, who got fired in year two, and and uh, I was I was more on board with Morris partly because of the the thing I said earlier is this team 
better off this you know today than they were one year ago and it doesn't seem maybe that that Arkansas was in that uh, moving in that direction and, and Nebraska it's kind of close because early in the season I mean people weren't weren't obviously they came in with huge expectations the loss to Colorado was was a, a, a big downer and and obviously they have since uh, failed to meet expectations but I think I mentioned I don't know if it was on this show or another one that uh, early in the season they were well ahead of their pace the previous year and and they looked like they were uh, a lock for a bowl because obviously in 2018 they started out 0 and six or whatever 0 and seven maybe um, and, and so at that point I felt okay this team is better uh, now the last few weeks the last month or six weeks or however long it's been uh, they have not looked good Obviously, they have they have not looked good. Uh, last week against Wisconsin, they were pushed around. Um, it, it you know this has has been a very very disappointing season. I do think it's too early. I think he's you know the prodigal son of, of sorts. So I think he's going to get a longer leash than most would. And Nebraska, yes, they have a, a very very storied history, but it's not the easiest job in the world. Um, they've recruited created well. part of that. You know? Sure. So, I mean, I, I think you got to give him a longer leash than, uh, you would even a normal coach. Right. So because I think year. if it, but if you fire him, you're also kind of wrecking his previous legacy a little bit, obviously, you know, with anything, the good doesn't wash away the bad or anything and vice versa. But, um, I, I feel like just for, you know, keeping everyone nostalgic and all that stuff, you got it. You got to give him a, a bit of a longer leash, right? I think so. And and you know, uh, they they have a chance to to still make a bowl game if they miss it. That's going to be a major disappointment. Uh, but it won't be the end of the world if they make it. Then hey, you you have something to point to to say we may we took a step. The next step will be competing in the big 10 West. So, um, you know, the, the next couple of games obviously are, are, are big for him and sort of the outside perception of the team. Cause if they, if they were to win this week and, and, uh, they've got Maryland this week, if I, uh, yeah. am correct about that. And then, uh, upset Iowa next week, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big win. I was going to be a, a top 25 team. Then you go into a bowl. If you win that bowl, then you've really got some momentum. So then that, that sort of hype machine starts to maybe ramp up a little bit again in, mm-hmm. in the off season. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, exactly if, what Xavier wants. More hype <laughs> no. on, on the Huskers. Oh, my God. That, uh, that would uh, be a nightmare. But, you know, yeah, I, I think even if they were to miss it, if they were to, to beat Maryland and lose to Iowa, then you're like, well, Obviously a disappointment, but let's see how next year goes. And if 2020 goes poorly, then maybe I'm on board. You know, if, if they miss a, a bowl game for the third straight year with with Frost and things just have, you know, Adrian Martinez hasn't progressed or, or uh, you know, the defense still looks bad, things like that, then, yeah, I'm probably going to start to be more on board. But I think at this point it's too early. Hey, too Scott, early, Zavier. Yes. Is there any way you can bet on a team's record before the year starts? Yeah, yeah. win total. Win total. Oh, total. bet. Okay, cool. So I'm definitely betting sub six wins on Nebraska next season. Well, oh. <laughs> set the line. So, so oh, this okay. year it was, uh, I believe, 
the, the number I saw, it was some, it was eight or nine or something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, that would have been an easy bet. We, wow. So if it's that way next year, which is possible, I mean, it certainly, certainly is possible. Um, then yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame you for, for taking the under, depending on what the schedule is. I'm not 100% sure, but, uh, but yeah, that's the win total bets are, yep. are preseason. Yeah. Win total bets are fun too, especially in, uh, you know, uh, I mean, they're great in college football too, but they're a lot of fun in like basketball and baseball because there's so many so games. <laughs> you know, yeah, and then you get really close to the end, and you're like, "Come on, I need you to grit out these three wins. You got to win three <laughs> in a row at the end. Let's go." You know, if you if you bet the over, if you bet the under, then you're rooting against that team like nobody's business. So those those are fun to play a lot, and they give you a little bit of uh, you know, you can bet them and breathe a little bit afterwards too. So. Uh, are there any other coaches? I didn't mean to cut you off, Xavier. I, oh, no. I, I just, uh, you know, I, I thought that point needed to bring, bring be brought up about Scott Frost. You know, uh, I, I think you're being just a little bit impatient with him. But are there any other coaches that need to go? Um, I think the rest of the SEC knows Will Muschamp's a fraud, and I think that he'll <laughs> go. So I don't think I have to worry about going into too much depth about that one. But a little <laughs> bit of hindsight, I do want to – kind of ask you guys this question because as I thought about it, it kind of pondered on me. Um, do you guys think David Shaw is somebody that needs to be looked out for maybe in the next couple of seasons and uh, as a team that maybe has lost its luster a little bit? Um, you know, I know Stanford's not necessarily considered maybe a football school, more of an academic school, but you know, his first, this is, this will be his first losing or neutral to losing season um, in his tenure. Um, and do you think that at this point, you know, maybe Stanford's a little bit behind the gun, but maybe the way that they uh, they run their offense and things of that nature. So I can't get behind that for this year because they have right, right, so right, right. many injuries like, you know, I, I understand what you're saying uh, because they haven't been great the last uh, couple of years in a row now. But I think they had so many uh, injuries, not only to quarterback, you know, Costello missed a ton of games, but uh, also to the line. Right, Nick, didn't they have uh, yeah, Walker got hurt and. Uh, is it they, Walker Little or what? What's his name? I can't. Oh, remember. both. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Walker Little. I mean, they they've had. Um, I want to say they've had four starters at different points go down with injury, including. Um, uh, let's see here. Pull it up in our FBS team profiles. Uh, Walker Little, who's who's a hundred rated player. Uh, hurt his leg in week one and has been out ever since. Um, Henry. Hattis is a, a tackle who started some for them this year. Uh, also injured his leg in week six, and he's been out ever since. Dylan Powell's had an ankle injury. He's been out. Uh, Devery Hamilton had a knee injury that uh, in week six. He's been out. I, I don't believe he's returned. So those are all guys. I mean, Little was like an All-American type talent, first-round right. potential type, type guy. So that's a that's a huge loss just off the bat, and for that to happen in week one. Uh, Devery Hamilton uh, was a guy who came in with over a 90 uh, recruiting rating, according to the two, uh, 247 Sports composite. So, you know, he's a guy that started 14 games uh, previously leading up to this. They've also lost Paulson Adebo in, in uh, week 12. He... Uh, sat out and it you know doesn't seem like he's going to be back this week as well the all-american corner so they've they've not only suffered injuries they suffered injuries to like their top line guys and and um the thing i'm, I'm not like a, I, I don't I feel have, like xavier is corporate 
Like he's looking for jobs to cut, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know. And 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 Nick is like, no, well, you know, we need him because of you know <laughs> I'm, I'm this. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. And I'm over here like, I don't care as long as I'm good. That that's right. all that matters to me. So, uh, uh, and, and I think Stanford is a, is a little bit of a unique situation. So if if they were to have this sort of collapse, you know, if David Shaw were the head coach at USC. And they had this sort of collapse. I mean, we've seen similar situations, right, uh, in in recent years. Then, yeah, I think you'd be under similar sort of pressure. And, and this season would be, you know, maybe enough to to really put his job in jeopardy. But Stanford is is a little bit different. I mean, there there uh, there's not a giant fan base. There's not, you know, just a, a rabid uh, sort of atmosphere around the program. And Shaw is a, uh, if, if memory serves, he's kind of a, a lifetime Stanford guy. And I think I made that sort of, uh, Pat Fitzgerald had come up at Northwestern in, in other conversations. Uh, same sort of thing. I mean, the, the two schools are similar, very high academic standards and pretty low football standards. Uh, from a, from a tradition standpoint, and then also just sort of, it, it's not, kind of, you know, it's not an SEC pressure cooker type thing. It's not even a USC type thing or, or a Texas tech, you know, something like that. It's it's as long as you're not just just doing horribly <laughs> for an extended period of time. Uh, I I feel like. Both of those guys, and, and in this case, Shaw, is pretty safe. I mean, I think I've said before, I wouldn't be surprised if David Shaw is the athletic director at Stanford at some point, eventually. Yeah. He seems like a guy that's that's going to be there for 50 years, and, and you know, maybe eventually he moves away from coaching. Maybe eventually he gets the itch to go to the NFL. I know he has some NFL coaching background, uh, you know, in, in his past potentially that that could be in his future but um it, it seems to me that that this year one the injuries are certainly enough of a factor but two just sort of the atmosphere in stanford as a program doesn't strike me as um one that they would get rid of him. is there anybody else you want to fire xavier <laughs> well i thought about your guy but he's gonna stick around for a while yeah, uh, uh and then and then the only other name that came to mind was gus but I don't think he can do anything wrong because of the buyout that he still has in his contract. Um, and although Georgia has a 12 and one record against Auburn in the last 13 years, um, I don't think that that I don't think he's been they've been bad enough this year. They, you know, I think they've been right around where everybody kind of expected them to be, especially in Bo Nix's first year. And I think he'll go down with whether or not uh, Bo Nix can step up the next two seasons, but as of right now, Gus is still safe in all in the plains of Auburn, uh, to the chagrin of a lot of fans. So, uh, all right, well, let's take a look back at uh, what happened last week, shall we? And we'll start out with Navy and Notre Dame. Notre Dame fifty-two to twenty. We had this one as a Notre Dame win, Nick, but this was a gigantic victory for the Irish chase Claypool had four touchdowns. I think three of them were in the first quarter or at least the first half. So uh, not a very close game, not a stressful three hours for Notre Dame fans at all against Navy this week. Yeah. And, and uh, so the, the numbers were pretty big on Notre Dame. We showed a pretty big edge, had a 14 uh, or, or 15 point separation 
And that was <laughs> exactly double what the odds makers were. And I know we all talked about it. And, and I said, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Navy plays Notre Dame much closer than our numbers. And, and uh, I, I thought that if, if we were going to cover, if, if our numbers were going to prove correct, it was going to have to be sort of the way it did. I mean, Chase Claypool is a big physical receiver and he is a complete uh, mismatch against the Navy defense. And Notre Dame used that to their advantage. I mean, in, in years past, maybe they either haven't, you know, had a guy they felt comfortable going at Navy like that, or they just got sort of sucked into uh, playing the Navy style that that I think a lot of people were were expecting to happen this year. But uh, Claypool was a difference maker. I mean, the book was able to to uh, find him early and often. I mean, four touchdowns, pretty ridiculous. And he was able to go out and, and make plays, and it proved to be uh, absolutely the difference. And and they started uh, started strong. And just sort of kept the, the foot on the pedal the entire time and were able to to blow Navy out. And if, if it is going to happen in this series, that's how it has to happen. Notre Dame relying on their talent advantage, their physical advantage. Uh, they were able to set the set the tone this year and, and expose that uh, matchup. Uh, situation um they might not be able to do it every year but but this year it went according to plan and and uh that's you know fortunate for us because because our numbers saw a pretty big difference between the two uh xavier did you see this playing out this way no i uh, i called for an upset in this game and i could not have been more wrong um xavier you're fired I mean, you know, hey, you get him wrong. Hey, it's his first year. (laughs) (laughs) Give him two or three years. If this was Nebraska, you'd get an extension. So (laughs) So you guys need to give me more money. Uh, (laughs) 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 Uh, But Ian Book finally proved me wrong. He he showed up in a big game, and not only did he just show up as more of a game manager, but he he played really well. Um, This was the Ian Book that I thought, uh, could have been a Heisman dark horse at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, 14 of 20, 284, five touchdowns, 70% completion rate. That's what, that is what I expected Ian Book to be doing. You know, maybe not the five touchdowns, but uh, definitely the rest of the stat line throughout most of the games this year. Um, however, you know, that, that's, you know, he wasn't able to do that, and that's why they are where they are. But uh, Notre Dame, you know, finally, they kind of just, you know, flex their muscles. I've, you, you've kind of been waiting for it. Uh, Virginia Tech, they didn't do it. Duke, they did. Uh, but against a ranked opponent, I w- it, it was good to see them flex their muscles uh, because they have the talent to do so. You kind of just been waiting for it all season. Uh, going over to Iowa and Minnesota, Iowa wins this game, uh, twenty three to nineteen. Uh, we had it at twenty one twenty as an Iowa victory. Minnesota no longer rowing the boat. Uh, Nick, uh, kind of unfortunate. They had a great season. They got nothing to be ashamed of. But uh, tough loss against a uh, hard-to-beat Iowa team, right? It was, and and this game played out fairly similarly to how we uh, talked about it last week. Um, it, it was a tough game, tough environment. Minnesota is coming off a, a huge win, so there's obviously always the uh, potential to to have sort of that hangover effect. And Minnesota fell down early. They were able to, to catch up and, and have an opportunity 
to make it very close at the end, and then uh, a you know they they missed a meaningless extra point that wasn't so meaningless. It was one of mm-hmm. the uh, one of the few coin flips we lost last week. Unfortunately, could it could have been a push, but uh, that that's all right. We miss missed this one, um, and you know I, I was a, a they're always a problem. I mean, they don't have much of a talent advantage ever. Just if we're if we're looking at you know recruiting ratings, obviously they've done a great job of developing players and and uh, finding sort of diamond in the rough type guys. But as far as sort of the raw numbers go, um, they're never going to have a talent advantage. And, and this was the same sort of case. Minnesota uh, had an edge in, in uh, overall talent, but Iowa was able to. Uh, find a way to, to win this game. I mean, they came out strong and, and were able to to hold on. And Minnesota is still very much in uh, the conversation. I mean, if they uh, win out, then they'll play Ohio State in the conference championship game. And we're going to talk plenty about the Buckeyes later. But uh, obviously it would be a huge, huge upset if, if they were to win, if they are to, to get in that game. But it's not out of the complete realm of possibility. So... Um, they're still very much in the thick of things. I think all of their goals are still attainable. It just, you know, other than that perfect season, obviously, is, has come to an end. But congratulations to Iowa. They played played a, a really solid game. They were able to dictate the tempo of the game, uh, the style of play, and, and uh, that's how Iowa picks up these wins at home. And it, it played out that way last week. Xavier, are you disappointed to see the boat stop run here? Yeah, I, I was a little bit disappointed because I felt that uh, Minnesota really didn't come to play in the first half. And, you know, when you play an Iowa team with that good of a defense, if you start slow, it's, you're just making, you know, uh, you're turning a mountain into a molehill. And for, for me, I, I felt that they didn't come out with that same sense of urgency that they did against uh, Penn State. Uh, maybe it was a little bit of a hangover. Um, you know, uh, from that game, you know, the defense didn't hold up as well as they maybe should have. Um, and the offense obviously wasn't clicking, but, you know, still kudos to PJ Fleck. Um, they're still, they win this week. They're in, if I'm not mistaken, correct. Uh, they've still got to play Wisconsin. So, uh, so if they, they beat Northwestern this week, which is trickier than a lot of people might expect <laughs> um <laughs> and then then that wisconsin game is probably going to be I'll right around it. to pick them our numbers have okay. uh, minnesota because it is in minneapolis have, have minnesota is less than a one point favorite so depending okay. on how things shake out this week and depending on the health of tanner morgan who got banged up at the end of this game last week that that's certainly a storyline to watch he got a uh he's in concussion protocol if i understand correctly so um yeah, they, if they if they take care of business this week, then it's most likely going to be winner take all against Wisconsin. All right. Well, you know, I feel like we've said that about Northwestern several times this week. That is trickier than what they are, and they have yet to prove us right. Uh, maybe they do this week, but you know, regardless of what happens against Northwestern, Minnesota has far out out exceeded their expectations for this year, at least in my opinion. So I agree. Yep. Uh, 
Oklahoma 34-31 over Baylor. Uh, Baylor at one point, guys, was up 28-3. to Not that that's oh, a significant goodness. spot or number or anything. but uh, <laughs> I get that reference. I understand. <laughs> Oklahoma comes storming back to win 34-31 in this one. And uh, that was fairly close to where you had it, Nick. 37-28 was the prediction in Oklahoma's favor. Obviously, they put themselves in the hole uh, in the first half, but they came back to win it. I mean, how big of a blow is this to uh, Baylor? And uh, can what what do we think about Oklahoma moving forward? Um, I mean, we're still pretty high on Oklahoma. I mean, the the, the numbers uh, still see the Sooners as a top five team overall, uh, but this game did some damage. Part of the reason that. Oklahoma was so high, according to our numbers, where they were far and away uh, for the first 11 weeks of the season, the leaders in uh, net yards per play, and, and that impacts our team performance ratings. It's also uh, factored into our uh, overall team strength ratings, and, and they had been uh, just so explosive offensively that uh, they were, you know, two yards ahead of the next closest team for the first few weeks of the season. And, and slowly that number, that gap has closed. And part of it is uh, some poor play by the defense. I mean, that that's a big part of it. For the first 10 weeks of the season or whatever, uh, Oklahoma was in the 50s as far as uh, yards allowed per play defensively. And that's not great, but they were – number one by far on offense. So in a, in a net perspective, they had a huge edge, but uh, Baylor actually really closed the gap in, in this game. Uh, they held Jalen Hurts to 6.9 yards per pass attempt, or excuse me, they led the team to uh, 6.9 Hertz was 7.1, but um, you know, he was up in like 12 most of the year, which is just ridiculous. Uh, they did a decent job keeping the the running game, you know, hemmed in. Hurt still ran for over 100 yards, and Brooks ran for 93. But uh, early on, they were really sort of limiting Oklahoma's run game, and, and that helped them sort of build that lead. Uh, but the, the biggest thing, I mean, Oklahoma had five fumbles in this game. They lost two of them. Uh, or excuse me, they have four, four, no, they have, I, I don't know, five fumbles. Hertz had three, lost two of them. Uh, he also threw an interception. I mean, he was giving the ball away, and, and that allowed Baylor to, to just, you know, open up that big lead. And obviously, finally, the, the Oklahoma defense came to play in the second half. They shut out Baylor, and you're not going to keep Oklahoma down offensively uh, all game, and, and they were able to, to do just enough to come back and, and sort of steal this game on the road. And, and it seems that the playoff committee is just down on the Big 12 as a whole. So, it you know, at this point, you have to think that unless things, you know, get pretty chaotic – elsewhere neither of these teams is is going to make the playoff uh but you know funny things happen sometimes uh i i would i would like to see you know one of them maybe uh have an opportunity in the the big 12 championship game would love for this to be a rematch and and two one loss teams similar to the pac-12 with a, a potential playoff spot on the line uh but um you know 
at this point, I, it doesn't really look good for either team as far as a national championship is concerned. Xavier, uh, Oklahoma comes back to win this game. What do you think? What did you think about this game? I mean, this was probably the worst thing that could have happened for the Big 12. Uh, the best thing was what I thought was going to happen, which was I thought Oklahoma was going to run away with this ball game. Uh, and if they did, maybe they had an opportunity at that point to make an argument, you know, that they are just really that much better than every team in the Big 12. Uh, but this is this I don't to take away from this game. It's really tough because you look at a Baylor team that, yes, you can say that they forced all of these turnovers and they did really well. And, you know, the offense was clicking on all cylinders in the first half. But when you really look at the grand scheme of things, you go, OK, well, Oklahoma probably played its worst half of football all season. Uh, maybe outside of the Kansas State game, and they still were able to win this ball game. And I think that's what the committee has to is probably looking at right now is that Oklahoma, like you said, Nick, had five turnovers uh, total, I think, either five or six. And if you have five turnovers in a game and you're still able to win, then what does that really say about the talent that you're playing against? Um, I'm also going to burst your bubble, Nick. I don't think that it's going to be two <laughs> one-loss teams in the Big 12, and I'll get to that in just, uh, when we get to the, the games later. Uh, but – I think that this, yeah, like I said, this is the worst thing that could have happened for the Big 12. I think uh, it's going to be really tough to make an argument for either ball club unless something crazy happens in front. Um, but, you know, realistically, there's nothing too crazy that could happen in front of them at this point, at this juncture, um, unless both Pac-12 teams were to get upset. That could see them anywhere near the top five um, in Oklahoma. So uh, it, it was it was a good win for Oklahoma, but a bad day for the Big 12. And the last one from last week, you had it at 21-17, Georgia over Auburn, 21-14. This is part of the amazing week that was Week 12 for CFB Winning Edge, of course. Nick, uh, tell us about how your Bulldogs beat the Tigers. Well, they they jumped out to a big enough early lead that it was too big for Auburn to overcome. I mean, the the, uh, Georgia offense capitalized on its scoring opportunities they uh really only had three decent drives and and they scored on all of them had drives of uh, i think two were longer than 80 yards and 170 yards something like that um but the rest of the day i I think i calculated it earlier for uh, a column i write for fan sided on mondays georgia averaged fewer than three yards per drive on the other uh, on their non-scoring drives. So three yards per play ranks in the bottom nationally. Georgia had three yards per drive uh, on their non-scoring drive. So so uh, they did just enough offensively, were able to string enough uh, quality uh, plays together to get in the end zone three times. And then the defense for the first three quarters was practically – uh, it was just dominant. I mean, they, they played really, really well, uh, rose to the occasion. Auburn was able to get the ball moving, uh, you know, at, at times, but Georgia was able to, to keep them out of the end zone, keep them off the scoreboard. Xavier brought up a great point last week about um, the special teams. Auburn missed an early field goal. Georgia uh, won the field position battle by pinning Auburn deep on its first uh, – or, or on – on the first uh, Georgia offensive drive. And, you know, that, that kind of set the tone. I mean, if Auburn had kicked that field goal, then we would have hit the the final score perfectly, I guess. But uh, the way it set the tone for the game, uh, you know, Georgia came out, 
won an important game on the road, secured the SEC East. Big win for them. Um, you know, for Auburn at this point, they're they're uh, it, to to my mind. I mean, when you're when you're playing uh, Georgia and Alabama, you have an opportunity to be a spoiler, but there really aren't legitimate expectations to beat either team. So I felt like they sort of were playing with nothing to lose and they almost won. They had a chance to come back and, and uh, tie or win the game late. Didn't work out. The Georgia defense was able to, to come out and, and uh, make enough stops to win. The offense was able to put up enough points to win. So, you know, it was a good win for, for the Bulldogs. Xavier, how did you see this one? Yeah, I think that we now know um, and I, and I, I'm, I'm reserving a little bit, um, but I, I think we know that this defense is for real. Uh, this defense is legitimately one of the top two or three defenses in college football right now. Uh, like Nick said, I think they gave up their first rushing touchdown in week 10. Um, I think that has something to be said, especially in a, in a conference like the SEC, which has always been a, a conference that kind of, uh, you know, laid on its running game. Um, and this, this, this defense is really good. Um. And I think that the offense, you have to look at it uh, with a silver lining. You know, obviously they put up 21 points. They put up enough points to win. But the offense looks so much different without Lawrence Cager in it. Um, you know, he sat out this game, uh, which led to um, other people having to step up like Dominic Blaylock. So you can look for, for for good things with that. But this offense, when he's not in the game, they don't pass the football well. Um, Jake Fromm went sub 50 percent, a buck 82, which is, I think, his lowest passing totals all season. Um, and yes, he had three touchdown passes, but all of them, except for the one Dominic Blaylock, were like sub five yards. So um, the offense is where you think it is. Um, a podcast called uh, Podcast and Play Nobody. Shouts out to Nick for telling me about that one. They 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 coined Georgia pretty well, and and they said they just sit on you. Uh, they they're not very you know stylistically pretty. You know they're not fun to necessarily watch. They just do what they are supposed to do really well. They run the ball and play good defense. Uh, they funny enough they remind me of more of the LSU teams of the past than LSU does this year. Uh, you know and and we'll see you know what they had to do this week against A&M, um, a team coming in off of a big win against South Carolina. And, uh, you know, if, if this offense can capitalize at some point on, you know, its defense's, you know, amazing ability, amazing play all season, if they can capitalize and put some real points up on the board. So Now, going over to this week's games, it is, I, I want to say this nicely, it's mm-hmm. a weak slate. <laughs> Right. We only have one ranked uh, matchup. It's Ohio State and Penn State. We'll, of course, talk well, about that. But go ahead, Xavier. I'm sorry. Is, is not is A&M Georgia not ranked this rank rank versus this week? A&M's not in the not oh, in the uh, playoff rankings. Ah, right. OK. Right. NBA. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, there, there's a little, uh, you know, go back and forth when there's three polls out now. Now, of Fair. course. But uh there's a lot of you know conference games, a lot of rivalry games, and Nick, you put out this article before uh, talking about um, you know tra- a travel study article before the season started, and there's a lot of games that are being played without, within a hundred miles um, of for the road team, and I know you did uh, the numbers on that. Care to fill us in about uh, that, and what do we have this week for it? Yeah, so um, I've, I've done some work, as I mentioned before, for MajorWager.com, 
com, and uh, this was one of the first things that I did for them. It, it I had an idea in mind of um, I, I've always been playing with home field advantage, and and when I first started CFB Winning Edge, uh, I was using this like dynamic home field advantage where certain teams were getting as many as five points, and uh, others were getting less than two, and and things like that, and and just sort of really trying to be specific about it. And, and the more I've learned about it and listened to smart people and gotten advice on different things, I have finally come around to the general consensus that, you know, two and a half points is basically home field advantage. That's about right. That's what the statistics sort of bear out. That's what we should go with. That's just sort of the safest thing. I, I still have this little you know, there's this little gnawing away voice in my mind that there's more to it than that. There needs to be, you know, it, it just can't be that simple. And maybe that's, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm dumb for, for thinking too hard about it. But um, I, I had in mind a, a study about home field advantage, but maybe not even just like in stadium atmosphere, but more based on travel because travel can take a lot out of us obviously i mean i i feel like if i go on vacation i need to uh sort of build in an extra day before going back to work otherwise i just feel completely worn out uh just kind of like as a, a recuperation day so to be able to you know if you're traveling hundreds of miles thousands of miles in some cases uh that has an effect and, and i think that that um maybe even more so uh, than you know, in stadium home field advantage has a has a big uh, big effect. So I started my research thinking about like a team like Hawaii. They they the closest team that they play is over two thousand miles away. So you know the team that that is coming in is going to be traveling two three four thousand miles. I mean Army is going to Hawaii uh, next week, and that's a forty five hundred mile one way trip. So, you know, that, that's going to have an impact. Uh, but the more I was looking at it, there really wasn't a huge effect as far as travel versus uh, teams covering the spread for big travel numbers. It seems that the odds makers were, have really gotten the point that, okay, we're going to bake that in. So there, there wasn't much of an edge. It was right around 50% either way, which is what we would expect, what they're, you know, we, we think that they're hoping for. Um, but what I, I found was on uh, these really close matchups that there were, there were huge numbers where the road team was covering. And I, in one of my previous lives, I uh, worked in minor league baseball. And in our league, the league I worked in, if, if an opponent uh, was fewer than 100 miles away, you did not uh, stay in that town. You did not, you did not you know, stay in a hotel, whatever, for the series. So we would call that a commuter. You would play uh, two game series. And uh, you would bus back and forth each day if it was within 100 miles. And I, I started thinking about that in relation to college football teams. And I know a lot of uh, college teams will stay in a hotel the, the night before, whether or not it's a, a road game or a home game. So, you know, even the home team will go stay in a hotel, whatever. But the routine is the same. 
each week in that situation, even if they are staying in a hotel. So I have to think there's probably something similar, and each school I'm sure is different, but within about 100 miles, chances are the road team is going to have almost, in most cases, the same uh, schedule leading up to the game. They're probably going to eat their pregame meal in the same place. You know, they're probably going to uh, spend the night in their own bed or in the, the hotel that they're used to staying in, you know, things like that. So there's a, a comfortability with that. You're in the same routine. Obviously, it takes, you know, an hour or two hours to travel 100 miles, whatever it is. But for the most part, the routine is going to be pretty similar. So I, I went back and uh, just sort of the quickest way I could do it, I was looking through old Phil Still magazines. I was able to go back to 2013 and look at how teams uh, in this situation fared against the spread. And from 2013 to 2018, teams traveling fewer than 100 miles against a team that they play every year. So again, that sort of adds another level to it. This is most likely a rival. It's a it's a uh, very familiar opponent. The coaching staffs are going to be familiar with one another. That has an effect too. So in that situation. For that uh, six-year period, the road team covered 65.3% of the time. The, the, the actual numbers were uh, that the road team was 98, 52, and 7. So that's a big number. I mean, we talked earlier in the game. I'm hoping to hit 55%. I mean, 55% would be huge. I really want to hit 53%. Then I'm feeling pretty good. This is 65%. And it's a fairly big sample size it's not huge but 150 games fairly That's big. enough yeah sure and then so i looked at it this year there you know uh, this this basically equates to about 25 give or take uh situations and a lot of it's in-state rivals some of it is is um you know just just close border war type situations like last week actually Mississippi State and Alabama, that's within 100 miles. Mississippi State's closer to Tuscaloosa than uh, Tuscaloosa is to Auburn. The, Auburn and Alabama actually don't fit this criteria. Um, but went through and looked, and in, in 2019, including the two games last week, Michigan-Michigan State and Mississippi State and Alabama, uh, the road team traveling fewer than 100 miles is 9-5. and five. That's 64.3%. So this is going to be a, a big thing the next two weeks when you get these rivalry games, these, these, you know, end of the year, you're playing your, your closest rival. Most of the time, a lot of teams are at least. So uh, there are actually four games that fit this criteria this week. And then there are uh, more than half a dozen next week. So I'll mention those as well, but the situations where, where that's coming up is uh, Friday night's game, Colorado state at Wyoming. Then on Saturday, UCLA and USC, UTEP at New Mexico State, and Cal at Stanford. And so uh, if we're looking at it just on the surface, if this is a true edge, if it's not, you know, just a small sample size thing or cherry picking or anything like that, we would think that Colorado State plus six and a half, UCLA plus 14, UTEP seven and a half, and Cal plus two and a half, there's a pretty good chance, about two thirds based on our sample, that those teams are going to cover. Now we look at our uh, CFB winning edge numbers, throw that into the mix, and our numbers agree with two of those, and they disagree with two of those. We actually uh, agree with UCLA to cover the two touchdowns and UTEP to cover seven and a half. How in the world is New Mexico State, by the way, 
more than a touchdown favorite over anybody. But <laughs> we, we, we agree with, with uh, UCLA and UTEP on that. We actually have uh, Color, or, uh, Colorado State is about a seven and a half point underdog instead of six and a half. So we're on Wyoming on that one. And then we've got Stanford as a six point favorite over two and a half. But obviously, Stanford, weird situation we talked about earlier. We've been pretty bad on Stanford all year. So take, you know, take that for what it's worth. But wanted to point this out because it, 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 when it struck me at the time, it seems significant. And then I, I have charted it this year. And so far, it's hitting along the same line. So, you know, uh, our listeners out there might find this useful, potentially. And, and I think, you know, it, it makes sense to me, sort of the, the travel aspect of it, just sort of based on my personal experience, makes sense to me. So if you're into that sort of thing, if you're looking for, you know, a, an edge or an angle or, or whatever the right word is, this might be one to consider this weekend next. All right, going over to the games that we have picked out for this week. Like we told you, it's a uh, you know a week of not so enticing matchups, but that's why you bet on them to make them exciting, right? So uh, the first one here, I told you guys we had to reach to the bottom of the barrel. Uh, Texas is at Baylor. I don't know why we're even talking about the stupid Longhorns here. <laughs> I'm so mad at them. It's nine and one Baylor. Uh, hosting six and four Texas. The spread is Baylor by five and a half. The over is 59. Uh, a lot of money on Texas here, but uh, I don't think I would do it. So, Nick, tell us what do we think about this game? Well, before I, I do, uh, dive into my thoughts, I'm curious, you as a Texas fan, and no. I've heard more <laughs> rumbling in recent weeks about uh, the fan base potentially souring a little bit on tom herman what are, what are your thoughts or what are you hearing along those lines well i i mean the the stuff that the longhorns are bad at is stuff that should be coached out it's bad tackling it's poor form you know it, it's it's uh making mistakes now for for sam ellinger these are corrupt correctable mistakes so the recruiting can be going fine but if you're taking too many raw players that don't know how to tackle or if you're recruiting all athletes and no one with any fundamentals and you're not preaching fundamentals obviously uh, things aren't going to work it doesn't really matter how good you are those things need to come first before anything so it, it's not working right now this is what i'll say i'm not i'm not a go fire tom Her herman person because this year didn't work out i will say if the Longhorns don't, you know, if they don't win a significant amount of games next year, uh, then, uh, you know, in Sam Ellinger's senior season, if you can't get it right then, then I think we're going to have, maybe I'm going to be on board with, with stuff starting to happen. But I, I say I'm, you know, I'm a Longhorns fan. I'm from Texas. My whole uh, dad's side of the family is from Pittsburgh. And, you know, the Steelers keep their coaches for a long time and it seems to work out. I think that is better than dumping a guy after three or four seasons because it hasn't worked out within those three or four seasons. You got to give him a little bit of time, let him grow. So I, I'm still on the Tom Herman train. I'm a little less excited about it than I was when I initially got on here. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think you can fire him even after this disappointing year. So it just seemed like everything was kind of set up. They played well last year. They made a nice bowl game. They beat Georgia in it. And now uh, four losses and later, you kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're back to uh, Texas from pre Tom Herman. So that's where we're at right now. I don't think they're going to win this game either. I think uh, they're going to lose this one. So 
that's well, kind of my my thoughts on the Texas and and Baylor matchup here and Texas overall. Sure, sure, and and our numbers agree. I mean, we we've, we've got Baylor uh, as about an eight point favorite, which is a, a as you mentioned, a, a, you know, a few points higher than the odds maker. So we see a bit of an edge there, and and a lot of it has to do with these are two pretty similar rosters in a lot of ways. Uh, a lot of ways. Texas obviously has higher recruiting ratings, but Baylor is uh, they've they've closed the gap a lot in uh, experience and production. And, and Baylor actually, as far as our uh, roster strength ratings go, is the tenth strongest roster in the country, second strongest in the Big Twelve, and that's just ahead of Texas, uh, who's at thirteenth uh, overall and, and third in the Big Twelve. And part of that is is experience. I think a lot of people were really glossing over the inexperience of the Texas defense in the preseason and sort of ignoring that while hyping up uh, sort of the, the returning production on offense and Ellinger and, and all of that um, didn't didn't pay as much attention maybe as as uh, we or they should have as far as sort of how many uh, players were were gone from last year's really pretty good defense and and they've been uh just suffered a, a huge amount of injuries i i think texas has the longest injury report in our team profiles of any team in the country i mean every week guys are are you know jumping on and off that uh injury report especially in the secondary and, and that's a big reason i think for uh one you're, you're running young guys out there so maybe they don't know the scheme as well as some guys who've been playing in it longer to um, banged up, you know, whether you can play or not, if, if you're hurt, that has an impact. Maybe you're a step slower than you normally would be. Maybe you're uh, a little more hesitant than you normally would be, whatever. There could be a lot of different reasons, but uh, I was pretty shocked when I looked at, at the numbers. Uh, I've mentioned my love for net yards per play. Texas ranks 82nd in the country in net yards per play. Uh, they rank 108th in yards per play allowed on defense. They allow 6.31 plays. That's just a, a pitiful number, and and that's you know missed assignments, that's broken tackles, um, a lot of things go into that, but that's a bad number. I was a bit surprised that they weren't as good offensively. They uh, have averaged 6.16 yards per play offensively, which is 46th in the country. I, I think we all would have expected, you know, a Sam Ellinger-led offense to, to be maybe a top 25 offense. I know they've been banged up at running back. I know Colin Johnson has been in and out of the lineup a lot. They've had some changeover in the offensive line. Again, a lot of maybe things we can sort of attribute to that. But still, I think we're probably expecting something better than that. And as a result, they've played at the 30th-ranked team performance this year. Um, compared to Baylor, who is 11th, spent most of the year in the top 10. Last week, that number came down a little bit. They're 11th. So uh, all those factors combined, and Matt Rule and, and Tom Herman have pretty similar head coach ratings, so that's not really uh, impacting this one way or the other. But similar rosters. Tom Herman doesn't get those love letters from you, does he? <laughs> he does. He does not. <laughs> wow. Uh, but uh, I don't dislike Tom Herman. Put that out okay. there, but, right. but I don't have a, a special uh, affinity for him either. We'll say so. Uh, you know the 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 way this team, the two teams that played on the field this year, 
the, the gap in team performance, about 20 uh, spots there. That's why we see Baylor uh, as, a, as a pretty clear favorite here. That plus the home field advantage should be significant. I think the Bears, uh, I, I'm pretty comfortable in this number and, and expect them to win and cover. Xavier, how do you see this one playing out? You're gonna hate me for saying this, but I honestly think you guys are gonna win on Saturday. Um, and I know you're that such a liar. There's no I'm way. So, no, no, I'm, I'm so, there's I'm so no serious. way I'm, you believe so that. Serious. Are you serious? Yes, no, I'm, I'm so serious. I think Baylor gave their best shot on Saturday against Oklahoma, and from here on out, it's gonna be nothing but a downturn. Um, this team has not played well for what uh, ten of the last twelve quarters that they played. Uh, they barely got by a West Virginia team that had no business being on the field with them. Uh, they beat a TCU team and was was that tri- was that triple or quadruple overtime? Uh, and then they played. They've had a lot half- of luck. You're right. Yeah, You're right. They, 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 had, they played one half of football against Oklahoma. Oklahoma gave them every opportunity in the world to steamroll them at home, and they blew it. Uh, this Baylor team has, in my personal opinion, should be six and three. Or I'm sorry. Seven and seven and three right now, um, and this game should be a game that should be a play-in for the Big Twelve championship game. Unfortunately, it won't be. But I think Texas will, you know, exercise some demons this week. I think Baylor psychologically will not come into this game. Uh, and I won't say they, they'll come into this game prepared, but when you blow a game like that at home, it sits with you a different kind of way. Um, you know, it's it's not a game that you just get over. Uh, you know, they they you know on campus all week. Probably people have been walking up to some of the players like, "How?" They've had to hear all week that you know they had you know uh, Oklahoma down twenty eight to three. They've been compared to the Falcons all week, and it, it's it's not something that you want to happen for a team that you know all year or at least in the last three games has has definitely been lucky. Uh, you you were hoping to that that luck was you know. eventually going to, you know, come to play at some point. Um, And so I feel Texas is going to come in. You know, they they blew their chance of going to the Big 12 championship with that loss to Iowa State last week. Oh, well, you know, what what seems to be their chance uh, last week. And I think that with them uh, going into Baylor, I don't see Baylor's home field advantage being that important um, to this game. I think Texas is going to come in. Like I said, they're going to exercise some demons and they're going to walk away with a close victory. And I think that this, you know, Sorry, Nick. I know your affinity for Matt Rule might, you know, <laughs> outweigh my, my, my idea here. But I think that this, this Baylor will finally be the Baylor that they should have been all year, and that they've been kind of outperforming and a little bit lucky uh, all season. So it, it's I, I understand. I, I certainly do. And and you make up a great point that in recent weeks this has not been uh, an elite Baylor team. So. Uh, I, I think that's that's certainly certainly fair. One thing I, I forgot to mention in, in my part here, uh, these are two of the the these two offensive lines have given up more sacks than any other in the Big Twelve. I was a little bit surprised to hear that both have allowed seventeen or excuse me twenty seven sacks this year, uh, which is obviously bad and, and you know could have an impact. But which defense is going to be able to take advantage of that? And there's a, a really a big gap. Baylor leads the Big 12 in sacks. They've got 33 this year. Um, and Texas has only uh, recorded 17 sacks, which is ninth out of the 10 teams in the Big 12 and 95th 
nationally. So that's that's maybe a matchup to watch. Two offensive lines that have struggled against the pass rush, but really won't only one defense that has shown an ability to consistently rush the passer. So I uh, did want to mention that before we move on. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm hopeful. So and, and I'm glad that you think that, that Texas is going to win this game. I just... I don't think I've seen more terrible tack- tackling out of any team I've watched. So yeah, but you haven't I, seen them blow a twenty-eight to three lead at home either. So also, also true. So <laughs> uh, also true. So uh, look, then I, and, and I'm going to be rooting for my guys. Don't don't trust me. I, I got their back. But from what I've seen this year, uh, you know, the the injuries have added up too much. Maybe the guys that they have in there are just too raw and haven't worked on their tackling enough. Whatever it is, it ain't working. Uh, that's all I know. Uh, moving on here, your Georgia Bulldogs are hosting the uh, Texas A&M Aggies. They are favored by 13.5 points. This one dropped from 14, and the over is 44.5. I think it keeps getting lower and lower. Anytime, men- anytime somebody mentions the Georgia offense, I think the <laughs> over-under gets a little bit yeah. lower. So uh, I think the Georgia offense is a lot like the, the Texas uh, defense, except for you have a otherworldly defense to cover up the problems uh, with, with the Georgia offense. And Georgia's offense can be sparked from time to time. I have not seen much spark from the Texas defense. But uh, Georgia, Texas A&M, Nick, how do you see this one going? Yeah, and, and our, our number is uh, pretty much in line with uh, the odds makers. Uh, we have Georgia as a 13-point favorite. Um, like 12.97, something something like that. So we do see Texas A&M covering the, the current number. See it as a pretty low-scoring game, Georgia 27, Texas A&M 14. And uh, I, I, you know, I look at that 27 for Georgia, and in SEC play, uh, that seems a bit high. I mean, they, they ran up some, uh, some pretty big scores early in the year, and they actually do still rank uh, in the top, well, in the top 26 as far as yards per play. Uh, but I think a, a good portion of that came early on. And, and if last week was any indication, I, I think they're going to still struggle to put up, you know, to, to score three touchdowns, basically, or, or four touchdowns. So uh, it, it I, I see this as Texas A&M has a, a very good opportunity to, to keep it close. Wouldn't be shocked if this was a one-score game. Uh, but along the sort of a, a similar uh, line to what we were talking about, the, the Texas and Baylor offensive lines, neither Georgia or Texas A&M have really proven to be elite uh, pass-rushing teams. Now, they, they rank sort of middle of the pack uh, nationally in sacks. I think both have, uh, you know, 20-something, 20, between 25 25, 22, something like that. Um, but uh, there's there's a particular matchup. Texas A&M's uh, defensive tackle, Justin, I'm going to screw this up, but Matabuke, uh is one of the top pass-rushing interior defensive linemen in the country. I saw uh, the uh, one of the PFF guys put up a stat uh, on Twitter the other day that he ranked, it was either first or second as far as uh, pressures from the interior in the defensive line. And and Georgia's offensive line is uh, second in the country. They've only allowed six sacks as a unit this year. And a lot of factors go into that. One is solid offensive line play. They've got a talented unit. Part of that is the tempo that they play and, and you know, the style of play. Uh, but overall, that's a good number. So that's a good matchup, uh, something to watch. 
but then take it one step further. Georgia has has done that this year, despite being banged up week in and week out. They're not quite to the Stanford level, but they've been shuffling in a lot of starters. They've had you know had to move guys different positions from uh, guard to tackle. Center has spent some time uh, on the shelf this year, so that that's definitely something to to keep an eye on, especially in that interior portion of the line of scrimmage. Uh, otherwise, these are, are fairly uh, similar rosters, not a, not a huge discrepancy as far as style of play. Georgia does have an edge in roster strength. They rank fourth in the country. Texas A&M is 18th. And a lot of that is experience and, and sort of really getting uh, ahead of myself here, but uh, I was uh, I've I've been looking ahead to, to 2020, and I know that uh, we're going to see a lot of the usual suspects as far as uh, the preseason championship uh, conversation. Alabama is going to be back. Clemson is going to be there, and Ohio State is going to be there for sure. Those are probably going to be the top three in some order, uh, depending on how this year shakes out. But Texas A&M might have an opportunity to move into that group. I was going through our, our depth charts, our, our team profiles. Texas A&M has one senior on their on our depth charts. So it's possible something could be wrong. I know they lost a couple of seniors uh, who were in the secondary earlier in the year to disciplinary issues. So uh, they, they have fewer now than they started with. But uh, one senior... <laughs> just <laughs> overall uh they will probably lose some guys to the nfl draft maybe being one of them maybe kellen mond that would have a, a obviously a huge impact and then uh the receiving core there's probably a chance for one or two of those guys to to jump early so this isn't going to be maybe the most experienced team in the country next year especially if they lose some of those key guys but something to keep an eye on they're they're talk about hype trains texas a&m is going to be on the hype train next year plus they don't have to play Clemson anymore and they won't be playing Georgia next year in, in the uh, crossover game. So much more manageable schedule. They will have a, a very experienced roster, very talented as well. So don't be surprised if they get some uh, national championship uh, level buzz in the, the preseason. Xavier, how do you see your Bulldogs playing out this week against the Aggies? Go Bulldogs, by the way. Come on. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, you know, we finally ha- we handled business down there in the Plains, and I think we're going to handle business again this week. Um, I think that you're going to see, especially to start off this ball game. I think you're going to try. Your Georgia's going to try to open up the offense a bit. Nick, you alluded to it, and I, and you know uh, about their secondary being kind of young. And the one thing I will say is that when you have a young secondary, uh, you know, you, you try to mix up the passing attack a little bit, and that's what you kind of attack for, for uh, first. A uh, and M's rush defense hasn't been bad this year. Uh, you know, obviously you, you hit on some of their, their, their better players in the interior. So obviously when you look at that, you look at the weakest part of their defense right now, you'd have to go to secondary. So that's probably what you'll see from Georgia as well as the last time Georgia was at home, they wanted to expand the passing game. That was against Kentucky. However, they played in a, a torrential downpour. Um, and so they didn't do it. Um, so they've been kind of waiting, I think the last two weeks, um, against Florida and Auburn or, yeah, I think against Florida and Auburn on the road and, and the neutral site to get a home game to kind of expand the offense again. Lawrence Cajor will be back. I mean, I think you'll see in the next two weeks, Georgia try to con- try to build an offense or try to get comfortable in an offense that can, I won't say that can contend with LSU, but that 
isn't as bad as what we've seen over the last few weeks. And I think that uh, Georgia will handle business. I think 27 is, is right around the range of what I've seen them scoring. They might clock over to 30, maybe a last field goal, maybe something to boost uh, their stats here or there, or maybe AM's defense is just that porous at, at some point in this game. Uh, but I, for me, I just don't see any way AM's offense is going to, uh, to, to battle with this team. Uh, A&M's offense has been stagnant at best against the against the good teams in the country, and even against the middle of the road teams in the country like Arkansas and Mississippi, they've been okay. Um, you know, and I think that they're playing one of the more elite defenses in college football this week, and I think that it's going to be a struggle for them. Um, I think that Kellen Mond being dual threat. Um, may be something to look out for as something that is going to help them in this game uh, because he will be able to get out of the pocket and make plays. Um, and, and it means that the corners for Georgia may have to defend longer, which is something they haven't had to do this season as of yet. Uh, but overall, I think Georgia will win this game. It's a game that they're going to be up for. Uh, they, they won't be looking ahead to Tech. Haha. <laughs> uh, but I don't, I, I don't see them. Uh, I think Georgia wins this game pretty handily and keeps it going. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I think they do, too. I think this is a, you know, uh, Georgia's got their eyes on the prize and A&M is kind of just looking for what bowl game they can show up in at this point. So I think this is Liberty Bowl Georgia win. <laughs> the uh, I saw the projections for the cheese at ball guys, Kansas State and Wyoming right now. Oh, oh yeah. Hey, there you go. Big time. Oh, God. <laughs> Nothing like uh, watching that. On the it'll show. be over quick. It'll be That's over very quick. true. So. I'll pay all that money for parking for nothing. Uh, Penn State uh, at Ohio State, the last game of the week we're going to cover here. Ohio State, a 18.5 point favorite. 57.5 is the over here. Nick, do the Nittany Lions have any chance of pulling this one out? Not according to our numbers. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're, we're pretty bullish on Ohio State, and uh, we're actually not quite as high on them as a lot of people. They're only second in our overall team strength ratings. We actually have Clemson number one, believe it or not. And uh, the, the difference, <laughs> I heard that. Uh, the, the difference is our head coach rating. And uh, we'll talk more, you know, sort of nuts and bolts and behind the scenes when we have a little more time in the in the off season. But um, I've been playing around a little bit with different sets of weights on our, our power ratings. And, and the one that is our official one is always what I reference here. Um, and that has about a 30 percent weight on head coach rating. And, and Dabo Sweeney has a 100 perfect rating. Uh, based on just his massive, massive success, and and uh, Ryan Day was you know entered the season as a, a not completely unknown, but uh, a first year, first time, full time head to, uh, head coach. So he's worked his way up to about a ninety one and a half. Um, so that that's sort of where that edges. If if we completely took those away, that didn't factor head coach at all. Um, the way we incorporate it then Ohio State would be about two points higher on a neutral field, about a two-point favorite over over Clemson. But the way we factor that in, Clemson currently is about a one-point favorite over Ohio State on a neutral field. So all that said, uh, take that you know, taking that into account that we're maybe a little lower on Ohio State than a lot of people, we expect the Buckeyes to win this game 31-10. to 10. And... Uh, they, they've just been incredible this year. This is the number one roster in the country as far as roster strength goes. Uh, it's the number one team performance uh, rating in the country. They've been there for, for several weeks now. 
uh, net yards per play. They finally have conquered the the mighty Oklahoma. Uh, they have averaged 3.74 yards per play more than uh, opponents. So offensive yards per play minus the yards they've allowed, they have a 3.74 net. That's pretty incredible. Um, and, you know, offense, they're a, a top 10 offense, sixth in the country as far as yards per play. And uh, defensively, they've allowed the fewest yards per play in the country. So they are elite, elite, you know, number one type team, uh, number one material. So uh, Penn State has been very good, but they have just not quite been that good. Penn State has the 22, uh, 22nd ranked roster for our numbers. They rank ninth in team performance, 42nd in yards per play, 12th in net yard, or uh, 15th in net yards per play. So, you know, they're a solid team, but, you know, going to Columbus and playing the elite of the elite, uh, I just don't see it being particularly close. And, and obviously, I, I feel like I say this every week, uh, anything could happen in a particular game. We've seen Ohio State lose games as two touchdown, three touchdown favorites in recent years. So it's not, you know, unheard of that it would happen. But this just, you know, doesn't seem like the spot for that. And uh, obviously, you know, could be wrong. Penn State could come out and and shock the world. And if they win this game, uh, Penn State, I believe, would would. Then, yep. yes, I mean, in the, in the Big Ten E, right? They're they're still very much uh, alive as far as that goes. I think it would be maybe a, a yeah, no, because because Michigan has lost twice. So yeah, they so win the if, game and if have a right, so Penn State, you know, they're they're playing for a spot in that Big Ten championship game and potentially a playoff spot. So obviously they'll be properly motivated, but uh, just you know, on paper. <laughs> It doesn't seem particularly close. Ohio State has just been the best team in the Big Ten and, and arguably the best team in the country. I know LSU is number one in the playoff ratings, but, uh, man, Ohio State, this is this is a premium team, an all-time top team contender. I mean, they've, they've just been that good. So uh, according to our numbers, we see the Buckeyes win pretty easy. Uh, Xavier, the, the Buckeyes, yeah. are they just going to beat down Penn yeah. State? I'm gonna keep this one short and sweet. Uh, <laughs> At least somebody to, will. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna mollywop the Nittany Lions on on Saturday. Um, I don't I don't like doing this because a lot of people like to do the the this on Twitter. But Ohio State beat Indiana 51 to 10. Penn State struggled with Indiana last week in a 34 to 27 victory. If that's any indication on the gap of how good each program is at the moment, uh, I think that we'll see it more so on Saturday. Uh, Chase Young is back and. I don't like that guy. I don't like playing against that guy if he's, you know, happy, go lucky. He's going to be pissed off because he had to sit out the last two <laughs> right. games. I, I don't need that. I don't want that as an offensive lineman. And, and, you know, I feel sorry for Sean Clifford because he's going to have to see him in his backfield consistently. Um, Sean, Sean Clifford's having a bad enough week as it is. So Exactly. Um, and, and I think when you look at this ball game, Ohio State's just clearly the better team. You know, we've seen stranger thing ha- things happen. If I'm not mistaken, didn't they go into Columbus and beat them a couple years ago when they were unranked uh, on a blocked on a was it a blocked field goal or a made field goal? One of the two. Uh, and so, I mean, crazier things have happened, but not Saturday. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so either. I think this is a Ohio State pounding. I, I think that Ohio State's. Um, you know, I think they're going to be in the national title game. They are a really, really good team. 
uh, mm-hmm. this year. So uh, we'll see moving forward. But that's it. That wraps it up for uh, week 13 moving forward. Nick, tell everybody about the CFB Winning Edge Patreon. Yeah, so uh, we've we've touched on it a lot. All of our different uh, recruiting, ra- or, you know, our, our player ratings, head coach ratings, all that sort of stuff. If you want to see it all for yourself and see it for all 130 teams, uh, join us as a tier two patron, patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Uh, Thank you, Patrons Day was uh, yesterday, Tuesday, and uh, that offered me a, a, a nice reminder to reach out to, to all of our patrons to, to say thank you. Uh, if you are a patron, you're listening to us. Thank you again. Uh, we couldn't do the type of work that we do without your support. I mean, I, I've been able to uh, roll some of the funds that come in through Patreon to uh, hire some freelance data entry work to help with the team profiles. Uh, that is already underway for 2020. Uh, have been able to make some improvements to the sheets uh, already to help speed up the process for uh, all of our ratings and updating things. Uh, We expect to be able to unveil those 2020 sheets on or around the February National Signing Day next year. So very early, uh, that's that's months earlier than than this past year. So I'm really excited about that. I think that'll add uh, some year-round value to uh, our Patreon supporters. Uh, and then, you know, we haven't given up on, on 2019 either. We're, we're continuing to update injuries and transfers and uh, production points. And then we're starting to now hear the, the first – uh, NFL draft entries. JJ Taylor at, at Arizona officially uh, said that he was going to enter the the NFL draft. So we've made note of that in our team profiles. And as more players uh, declare, we will you know change the the color. That's how we sort of designate if somebody's injured or transfer or whatever. So you'll be able to go through on the depth charts and see, oh, okay, this guy has declared for the draft already, and you'll be able to see how that impacts what the rest of the depth chart looks like for next year. So uh, if you're interested in seeing all that, you want to see all of our numbers up close, uh, do uh, check us out, patreon.com slash CFB Winnie All right, and that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Remember, you can find us all on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports for me, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for him, and at CFB Winning Edge for Nick. And good luck in all your bets this week, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.